We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite Pacers podcast, Setting the Pace on, that's right, PacersTalk.net. The Pacers are winners of four in a row, and here to break down last night's victory with me is the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, what's going on, my man? Alex, I'm fired up because these Pacers are sizzling right now. Winners of four straight and six of seven. I mean, I like what I'm seeing right now. But I don't want to get too carried away because we also got to remember who we're playing. Yes, that's the biggest thing right here is the Pacers are not playing the toughest competition. But like I mentioned on our Monday podcast with Kent Sterling, you know, the Pacers are winning games. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And they have officially moved up to the fifth spot in the Eastern Conference, Focci. Uh Hello, Philadelphia. Take a back seat, right? Exactly. You know, Philly, we heard about them all off season where people were, were sluggish on the Pacers. But hey. Given the amount of time that Vic has missed, this Philly team has really underperformed. I think it's time to start to realize that this Pacers team could be jumping Philly, and I'm not going to say for good, but I think they're starting to hit a little bit of their stride when it matters most with just about 20 games to go in the season. Yeah, I think we just really need to monitor like we will eventually get to later in the podcast. We talked with Kevin Bowen in our uh, later segment for today's show, so you guys will get to hear that towards the end of the episode. But, you know, we talked about Oladipo's injury in that, and we saw last night no Oladipo. Pacers started off terribly. I mean, everything was going right for San Antonio, everything going 
uh, wrong for the Pacers. And they, you know, they came back in the second quarter, put up a 40-point second quarter, thanks to Doug McDermott just obliterating that zone. And it was really just a beautiful turnaround in the Pacers. You know, that's the only quarter that they outscored the Spurs in, surprisingly. But throughout that game, you know, it's just like they took care of business when they needed to, and they handled every punch that the Spurs threw at them. It was actually funny. You and I both sent out pretty much identical tweets to the start of the game. I said, like, absolute brutal start to the game. I think you said, like, terrible start to the game. And yeah. the Pacers, they were down 10 nothing. I mean, I was like, this is not what I expected. No. No Lamarcus Aldridge. Like, how could this be happening? But just it, it, they responded in that second quarter. You know, they, they outscore the Spurs by 17 points. And I believe they had nine threes made by halftime. I mean, they were – or maybe they were 11 of 21 at half. So, I mean, it, from three. And that was looking pretty good to me. I was very surprised by that. As you touched on, Mick Buckets, he was four for four. You know, so the, the Pacers, they displayed something we haven't seen much of this season, more of a higher volume three while still being accurate. Yeah, and I think one of the, the things that was a little bit surprising was, you know, no real big man for the Spurs, yet Sabonis was only one of five heading into the third or the fourth quarter, I believe it was. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he just couldn't get an offensive rhythm, and I credit San Antonio. I mean, they were really focusing on shutting down Sabonis, and we've talked about this, um, how the Pacers run all their offense through Sabonis most of the time. So, you know, it made the Pacers play a little bit of a different style, and I think that was good for them. I think they need to do a little bit more of that and don't rely so much on Sabonis to be, you know, the focal point of the offense. But at the same time, I mean, we saw how he just kind of took over in the fourth quarter. But what impressed me the most in this whole entire game, it's not on the not even on the offensive end. It's on the defensive end. And in the first half, DeMar DeRozan, zero points. You know who was guarding him? T.J. Warren. And and there's mm-hmm. a reason why. T.J. Warren has been fantastic. And, and if the Spurs aren't hitting threes, the Pacers blow him out of the waters. I mean, DeM- DeMar DeRozan is their best player, and, and he has held to zero points at the half, held to ten points overall for the game. That's, that's, yeah, that's the way to beat the Spurs right there. It really is. But DeMar DeRozan just not even attempting a three just has him looking like a dinosaur out there. I mean, it, it's just <laughs> – With braids. Honestly – it really is just ridiculous. But uh, a little shout-out to Trey Lyles. I thought he did a pretty good job defensively on Sabonis at times. He ended up with 20 points. And, you know, I don't really get to watch a lot of Trey Lyles, and I was impressed uh, at times. But when you tar- touch on Sabonis, I mean, basically non-existent from an offensive standpoint earlier on in the game. But nine points in the fourth quarter after the Pacers trailed against the Spurs. So you really got it going uh, at the end of the game. And just – you saw we've seen lately over the four-game winning streak a much improved or getting back to what he was earlier in the year, Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon over the last four games, averaging over 20 points per game. Uh, he's shooting over 50%. I believe he's shooting pretty close to 50% from three over that stretch. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the Brogdon that we remember from earlier in the year, and it's been big. It's no coincidence the Pacers win four straight games and Brogdon's playing basically his best basketball right now. Yeah. He, he As much as we love looking at what T.J. Warren and Sabonis have done and carried this team, the Pacers are at their best when both Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon are playing at their best. And I think, you know, you can you can allow for Sabonis to not have a great game and still win games when those two guys are playing at the level they're playing. Too often we've seen them just not be – consistent enough in their in their contributions and I think that 
with Victor coming back, it was a little bit tough for, for Brogdon. Maybe he was going through an injury, but I think personally, he, he has to, he has really good chemistry with, um, Aaron Holiday. I, I love when those two play together. I'm not saying that it's a better fit than Vic. I just think that they've had more time and more reps together. And, I mean, Jeremy Hall or Jeremy Lamb, excuse me, Jeremy Lamb <laughs> has been uh, injured quite a bit this year. And before he went out with the season-ending in- injury, we saw how much Aaron played at that starting two guard. And the Pacers won a lot of games with him out there. I, I think Aaron Holiday has been great for this Pacers team, and he was. Honestly, he was really good last night despite his low numbers. He was just making the right pass, you know, playing good defense. I really was impressed with Aaron Holiday as well, even though it was a little bit more of a quiet night for him. Yeah, you really would not be able to tell from a box uh, box score standpoint, but I thought Holiday was just – he didn't try and do too much last night, just played good team basketball. His 35 minutes was the most – on the season, I believe the most he's ever logged in a game for the Pacers. Just two years, basically. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, I thought he played well. I mean, Brogdon and Aaron Holiday, that backcourt had the best plus-minus yeah. out of the whole team. So I don't think that that was a coincidence. Um, and just basically, I don't know. I, I liked what I saw. You know, Miles Turner, um, we touched on it a little bit with Kevin later, his improved rebounding. Well, last night, it was on the offensive side of things. Scoring with 17 points, and most of which came in the second half. I believe it was 11 out of that 17 was in the second half. So uh, I, I just thought all around pretty good collective effort. Uh, TJ McConnell, you know, not not his best game, but that that's fine. It was Edmund Sumner that looked very rusty last night. Sumner looked like he he really could have used. Uh, a little bit more of those minutes over the course of the last few weeks. I just felt like he was someone who I noticed off the bat just didn't look, you know, as I don't want to say, maybe I'd say in rhythm. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's still got to find that rhythm. And we kind of talk about the same thing with Goga. It's like you throw a guy out there for two minutes, he's not going to get in any rhythm. He doesn't know what his role is. And he's trying to prove that he's worthy of minutes. Well, it's 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 a tough place to be in for a young player, and especially like Edmund Sumner, like – before last time, I mean, it was Jakar Sampson starting at or getting the four minutes off the bench, and they moved Justin Holiday to the two. So it's kind of like, okay, where's my rollout on this team? Well, then they put him out there, and I thought he played really well um, in, in spurts. I mean, we saw the move where uh, he cut back door. I think it was a cut back door. Or Sabonis passed it up top to him, and he drove to the basket, stopped, and then pivoted and hit the little layup. I think there's mm-hmm. like moves like that that you can you can see in his game that could be beneficial for this team going forward. And I, I know you love Edmund Sumner. I mean, he's one of your love favorite him. guys to root love for. Him. So maybe if Oladipo's injury keeps him out an extended period of time, we'll get to see more Sumner. And it might not be the worst thing, especially, you know, as we come down to the end of the season to get him some more reps just in case he does have to play in the playoffs, he feels more comfortable. I completely agree. It would be it would be great if the Pacers can be in a somewhat similar opportunity to like towards the end of last year, where you know that Hawks game where you just saw Edmund Sumner go right, off yeah. last game of the season. He looked great in that game. Uh, but so did TJ Leaf. Aaron, yes, TJ Leaf looked amazing in that game, and that's what worries me then about that Edmund Sumner performance because <laughs> that Hawks team must have been terrible in yeah. that game. But. Back to Aaron Holiday for a bit. You know, his minutes have been up and down with Oladipo returning to the lineup. We see when Oladipo's out, Aaron Holiday is playing, you know, over 30-plus minutes in some of those games. But TJ McConnell's kind of been the guy where I feel like his play has dropped off a bit 
lately. Love McConnell. At, at times, you still see great hustle plays that you know can just ignite a run. But he's never going to be like a scorer on this team. But let's just looking through some stats. He's only scored more than two points in one of his last seven games. And while he was averaging over five assists per game, he's only had more than five assists in two of his last 14 wow. games. So the yeah. play for McConnell has dropped off a little bit. And when you are trying to get Aaron Holiday a bit more minutes with Oladipo out there, it might be McConnell who's sacrificing a little bit minutes moving forward. Not positive, but I think we could see that a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things you'll see with McConnell as we get closer to playoff time and into the playoffs, um, his weaknesses are very glaring. You know, he's not a good shooter. He's undersized. So he's going to get bullied when he's trying to go up against bigger guards, and he doesn't shoot the three-point shot. So it's really easy to guard him, make him make him you know drive around the paint. I mean, that's pretty simple to guard. I mean, if he doesn't even attempt threes, you know, it's kind of similar to DeRozan, like you were saying earlier, like he's not even mm-hmm. a threat. You know, it's going to be tough for him, but I, I still think that he provides something as far as leadership on the court, getting in there, taking a charge, causing a five-second violation, stealing. Like, it's just little things that he does, but he's not putting up the uh, same amount of efficient numbers that you'd like to see from him. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think, you know, when playoff time comes and there's a nine-man rotation, hopefully Oladipo's back and ready to rock and roll. You go Aaron back to the bench, our starting, or our, our top nine right there, you, you feel confident about but at the end of the day, it's playoff time, so if McConnell's not playing well, you've got Aaron Oladipo, Brogdon, and you got Justin Holiday that can all play those guard minutes. So you don't have to continue to keep him out there even when he's struggling. I mean, 12 minutes last night, not a lot of minutes. He wasn't very good last night. He's not been very productive. He was pretty bad in Cleveland, too, if I recall. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's one of those things with him. Like That's why I was wanting Aaron to get more minutes than him to start the season. Just because I'm just like, I know what his limitations are. But, I mean, he's been impressive. Don't get me wrong. He's been really fun, and he's a game He's a game changer in a different way. But it's more of the dirty work. Oh, it is. I mean, he had a diving strip last night that led to a basket. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that, that was just awesome to see. But when you're talking about his inability to even attempt threes, Alex, his last attempted three was February 7th. And he's just four of 13 on the year right. from three. So it's basically non-existent. And then you're on the flip side. You got Aaron Holiday, who's shooting just over 40% from three. Yeah. So, you know, if only you could really combine them into the same player, but you, you just can't. So it's just tough to see Aaron Holiday go from a night like tonight, uh, last night, 35 minutes to then. I mean, he might just play zero in the, net the following night, the game. It, it could easily happen. So mm-hmm. it's just tough to see, but McConnell brings certain people, just like we discussed, where no doubt about it, you want him out there. He he does not help this team by just being on the bench. No, and, and with those three-point attempts, Fauci, I mean, he's pretty much taken a three every four and a half games. So it's, it's not like he's a threat at all. But I, I do want to move forward. We get a chance to see the Milwaukee Bucks the last time of the season in Milwaukee. And if you recall, last time the Pacers did host the Milwaukee Bucks on ESPN, they won that game, but there was no Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, tomorrow, or I guess you should say later tonight against the Bucks, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, Giannis is going to be there, and he's not going to be very happy because the Miami Heat took care of business against the Bucks, and Giannis did not play very well. Bam Adebayo had his way with him uh, as much as anybody can have their way with an MVP-type player. So the Pacers are, are going to have themselves a handful 
uh, Wednesday night. They really are. And I, I would have felt better if the Bucks weren't coming off of a loss. When you when you touched on the MVP for this year, maybe two, two straight MVP is coming off of his worst game in fully over a year. I mean, not just this, this season. I believe his worst. He sh- yeah, this would be his worst game in at least a calendar year. I think he responds. We don't yeah. have a Bam Adebayo out there to to hold him to just brutal field goal percentage. Um, so I was impressed by the defense that Bam played. But look, Alex, I know we won that game without Giannis last time, but we nearly lost that game as well. So it was one of those Pacers got off to a blistering start against Milwaukee last time, and then it took – uh, it took it to crunch time to basically close that game out. So not feeling too great about that game. We don't know if Oladipo is going to suit up. I believe he's questionable as of now. Um, but, I mean, what are you going to do? You still got to go out there and be ready to compete. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Pacers probably want to prove to Milwaukee, hey, we can beat you too. So it's not like it's just Milwaukee that's going to have a chip on their shoulder. I mean, when you're playing the best team in the Eastern Conference and record-wise the best team in the NBA, I mean, you should be yes. getting up for that game. So let's hope the Pacers can do that. I'll be interested to see who guards Giannis in this game. Don't want them to get in foul trouble, especially with the way – that our roster has just been kind of depleted with injuries. So the last thing you want to do is get one of our bigs or one of our important wing players in foul trouble. So it's it's going to be tough because you know Giannis is going to be attacking like crazy tomorrow against the Pacers. But uh, one of the big things is, you know, they played a little bit of zone against us, and the Pacers have struggled against zone. And I'll be interested to see how we handle that. But, I mean, it's, it's going to be a good game. And it could be a blowout. I mean, if the Pacers pull this one off, Fachi, I'll be completely shocked. And um, I don't like to give the Pacers losses when I'm predicting games, but this one just feels like uh, you pencil that one in for a loss and just get ready for the Bulls game. Uh, Agreed. Look, I don't feel good about this game. I'm not going to blow smoke up anyone's butt. But honestly, it just – I don't. I won't. I promise. All right? Everybody's safe here. (laughs) But it just – I feel like if you can beat the Bucks in Milwaukee, it's beyond a statement win. This is this is a big, big win right here if you can pull this off. And I just don't know if the Pacers can. This Milwaukee team, they're not just good. They're great. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were on pace for 70 wins just about the other day before losing to Miami. This is a team they lead the league in scoring. I mean, they are a really good defensive team, like a really good – defensive team uh and it's it's going to be tough i mean across the board they actually average almost 10 more rebounds than the pacers mm-hmm. i mean that is a huge difference so they, they don't really have much of a weakness um so i don't feel great about the game but hey i'm going to be ready to rock espn the nation's going to be watching so let's be ready for them absolutely well let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll come back with the one and only Kevin Bowen. All right, everybody, what's going on? We are back, and we are here in this segment to talk to the one and only Kevin Bowen from 1070 The Fan. Kevin, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, Kevin, you've you've been filling in quite a bit for the radio, and I know that your mind's been geared more so towards the NFL Combine and the NFL Draft coming up, but... As the Pacers hit this, you know, stretch where they're looking to, you know, get some momentum going heading into the playoffs, what are your thoughts on this team so far this season? 
Well, honestly, I, I never would have guessed they won, what was it, 30 and 18? I think they were when Victor came back. I, you know, you got to have to kind of divide this season up into chunks. And that was an extremely impressive start to the year and I guess well over um, a, a start to the year. DeMontis Sabonis taking the next step. Um, has always been something that I thought was possible, but I'd be lying to you if I ever thought it would get to this level. What he's done just from a facilitating standpoint, really over the past couple months, he's become more and more of a point forward. And, and that's, I know that's not really like the exact term to use because it's not so much of him like dominating the ball at the top of the key and bringing it up and whatnot, but he just does so much for this team offensively. Um, you know, him and TJ Warren, I think, have been by far the most consistent players all season long. I've been really impressed by Warren, just to, just as maintaining his professionalism and playing at this level with this sort of franchise. Um, I, I didn't know if he could get there, and I think David West's mentorship has been huge for him. Um, so, yeah, those, those two guys really stand out to me. I think the bench, I know they've struggled a little bit here as of late, but you know, for long stretches of the season, they were the more consistent unit for you. And I think really kind of bailed out the starters in a lot of games. And now I'm just anxious, really anxious. And, you know, it seems like the starting lineup can't really catch a break right now. It's a little nick here and there that kind of breaks it up because I thought they played so well together on Saturday night. Um, I, I'm looking forward to just give me one or two weeks of the starting lineup being together so we can have a general idea of what this team is going to look like in April. Uh, because I, I still am not ready to say with like a firm, firm answer what we know about this team in the playoffs until I see the starting unit you know, play together for a decently long stretch against some quality opponents. You know, Kevin, it's true because when you touched on how this season has been a roller coaster, I mean, the Pacers start out 0-3, and they go on a great run, and then recently a six-game losing streak, but then they follow it by winning five out of six following the All-Star break. Um, now, how do you feel, though, with the recent success of the team? Is it more of a product of playing non-playoff teams, or do you kind of just feel better that this team is getting back to winning? I mean, is this sample size enough to think – we could turn the corner and finish strong? It's not enough for me just yet, and I don't want to like totally discredit what the Pacers have done since the All-Star break because what they've done, Miami hasn't been able to do, um, and that's beat some of these bottom feeders in the league. But, again, like I said earlier, I just don't – I can't say with a lot of confidence that this team is going to be super competitive slash win a first-round series until I see more of the starting unit playing together. Um, you know, when you look at this team playing quality opponents at full strength, especially away from home, there hasn't been a lot of success this year. I think that's the hardest thing for me to really judge about this Pacers season. We know about their own injury issues. That's well documented. You guys obviously do that on a, you know, multi-week basis. But look at their opponent. I mean, you could build a three-team all-NBA roster on – high-level players that have missed games against the Pacers this season. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just difficult for me to, like, give a, a great kind of grasp of this is exactly the team we're going to see in April because I don't think we've seen it really at full strength on both sides of the equation, for the Pacers or their opponents, really. I'd have to go back quite some time to see them play a team at full strength that you consider a top-five team really 
in, in either conference. So I think that's a little bit difficult for me, but I don't want that to diminish how intrigued I am because there's been moments of the season where you've seen them play at a high level um, when they haven't been at full strength. And I guess there's just more of like a general curiosity for me. I maybe don't think that I, – I, I still don't think if you're going to make me bet like today, are they going to win a first-round series? I would say no, but I'm still extremely curious just how the final 20 games are going to unfold, what we see from Oladipo, Sabonis-Turner combination, all of those things because, you know, as we know, so much of this core, really the entire core, is intact for next season. And that's where the curiosity of, okay, what does this team look like, you know, next fall when I really think that is their better chance to make some sort of run, you know, into the month of May. Yeah, and I know you you had pegged this team as the sixth seed in your predictions heading into the season, and you know they're right there at six, and they have a chance to continue to climb up. You know the standings here uh, with a win tonight. We are recording this on Monday, so with a win against San Antonio, they would get the chance to move up in the standings. But we just found out not too long ago, uh, Fachi brought it to our attentions that Oladipo would be missing tonight's game with a sore right knee injury. Um, how concerning is Vic's health and how important is Victor this season to our team? Well, I think those are great questions. I would say that his little nicks and knacks, yeah, it is a bit concerning now. I mean, you had kind of the ankle flare up and what was that shoot around on Saturday? I think it was, he ended up playing through that, but still, you know, that's a surprise. Now you see the knee, obviously he had the back, um, you know, at, I felt like on Thursday and Saturday, so that would have been Portland and Cleveland, those two games, I felt like I saw moments from him and, and a little bit longer stretches that I, that I needed to see and signs that are like, okay, he's getting closer. When I still watch him, I don't think he's all the way back by any means, and I just think he lacks a little bit of confidence. But what I saw against Cleveland was I saw him get into the lane a little bit more, you know, some floaters, some pull-ups into the lane, which I really, really like. And then what I saw against Portland, he was attacking all the way to the rim, getting to the foul line, and I thought he did a great job on the defensive class, which that's kind of been my biggest thing that I've wanted to stress with him right now is when he went to the All-Star break shooting more threes than two, and that had to make, you know, Nate McMillan just maddening. And honestly – Victor fully healthy. That that's not what you want to see. There's not many guys, certainly on the Pacers roster, that you want to see shooting more threes than twos. Doug McDermott might be the only guy, honestly. So that was a red flag. Now you're seeing him get back to a little bit more of his strengths. But again, when you see some of the Knicks and 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 you know the, these just kind of small injuries flare up, it's hard for that starting five to mesh together, and it's hard for Victor to get full throttle. Like, I don't think we've seen him yet at a game where, oh, my gosh, Victor's playing 34 minutes. I'd have to check how many minutes he played the other night against Cleveland. But I know against Portland, he still hasn't played kind of that full sort of minute allotment. And I I do think for this team to win a first-round series, I don't think maybe you need Victor at all-star level, but I think you need him, like, right there, like, very close. Like, I think you need him where maybe Brogdon was – right before the all-star break. And I'm talking about Brogdon in the first 40 games, not like literally the, that final week or two before the all-star break. You know, I think if you're going to rank like an all-star team and you're going to go all the way to like 15 or 17, Brogdon would have made it this year. I think that's where Victor's got to get to 
for this team to win a series. I just think it's too much pressure on a Warren, uh, maybe even on a, on a Brogdon as well. It'll be a different role for him in the postseason. Um, certainly for Warren, it'll be his first taste of the postseason. Uh, so I think that's why Victor's got to get, you know, can he get to a, you know, a 16 and six sort of average where he's 48% from the field and 34% from three. I know I'm just kind of spitballing numbers off the top of my head, but I think if he can get to that level, I think this team could, could win a series. It's definitely interesting. The numbers that you threw out because over the last five games, he is shooting 47%. So we started to see him kind of regain his form a little bit, shooting 35% from three. But the less attempts is what I liked seeing because, just as you mentioned, he was putting up a lot of shots, and a lot of them were coming from three-point range when he first started to come back this year. But someone who's coming off uh, a really successful month, T.J. Warren. He just averaged 20 points per game and shot over 60% in the month of February. With Vic still trying to regain his form and, you know, having various nicks here and there, do you think there could be a little bit of a shift towards maybe going to Warren a little bit more down the stretch compared to Vic? Or is maybe TJ not as ready for that moment, just as you were touching on before? Boy, I mean, every time I think uh, TJ Warren isn't ready, he just kind of shuts me up, and which what fine by me. TJ Warren, I just, he just goes about his business in a very professional manner that, that, that I like. And I love how he plays the game. You know, he knows kind of where his strengths are. And, um, you know, some of those shots he hit against Cleveland the other night to ice that game. And those are some big-time plays. And, you know, you ultimately hear about this kind of closer mindset that every team has to have. I still think the bread and butter for this team, late-game situations, needs to be Brogdon and Sabonis in a two-man game. I, I And that's what they went to, you know, late in the Portland game. And, you know, Turner – was freed up for a three, but I, I saw Popeye Jones, I think Jeremiah Johnson maybe had this on Twitter, Popeye Jones talking uh, before the Spurs game, you know, mentioning that Turner hitting those clutch shots late in the wins over Portland and Cleveland, that just reiterates to an assistant coach in the huddle in late game situations, he grabs that guy and says, don't leave Turner. Like, now you've just given yourself one more guy that the opposing team feels like they can't automatically leave. And I think that's the best part of the space of this Pacers team is that they almost always put five guys on the offensive end of the floor that can score. And it's not the most traditional way. It's not the most pretty way. Hell, it's not maybe the most analytical way. But they've got guys that can all put the ball in the basket. So, again, I still think late-game situations, Brogdon Sabonis would be my main option. But the fact that you have the ability to counter some things with, you know, a, a quick little Turner in the corner or Warren isolated or can Oladipo get to the downhill level or he's finishing at the rim at, at a pretty high level, the fact that you have those options, you know, kind of in your back pocket, that's something we definitely did not say about this team in, in prior years. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been fun watching the uh, just the – elevation of tj warren from a guy in phoenix who was injury prone to really not missing very many games this season and you know had that bad injury against the knicks kept him out a few games but he's been pretty steady all season long and that's a you know a reflection of why the pacers have been winning so many games he's been that important to this team but i gotta ask you you know aside from injuries we, we obviously talked about oladipo you know the news of jeremy lamb going out for this season 
What is the Pacers' biggest area of uh, concern for you, Kevin? Um, you know, I, I think just rebounding and, in general, the defensive end of the floor. You know, I don't want to kind of rain on Miles Turner's parade from the past couple of games. I do think the offensive confidence that he could be of, you know, could could get from what he's done against Portland and Cleveland late could be huge. But his on-ball defense against elite bigs, it's ugly. Um, you know, Andre Drummond owned him the other night. Then you've got to put Sabonis on Drummond at halftime. Now you're risking your best offensive player, or at least, you know, maybe your most important offensive player. Now you're risking him in foul trouble. And, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen growth from Turner this year, again, in the on-ball defense against the high-level bigs. I'm not expecting him to hold Drummond to 12 and 8 or something crazy, but just consistently these guys having a field day against the Pacers, that is an issue for me. Now, the good news is, you know, outside of playing Joel Embiid, I mean, who in the Eastern Conference that's going to be a playoff team has a legit big guy like that? And I, I should probably say more like a high level big guy. Yeah. Really, no one. I mean, maybe Bam, but I don't think Bam is ready for that stage just yet where, like, Miami's going to feed him nonstop in the playoffs. So yeah, that is, is a concern to me. Like, you've got to rely on Turner off the ball so much. And then, you know, if teams are smart, they're going to, you know, put like Cleveland tried to do the other night, get Kevin Love, a guy that can stretch the floor, bring Turner away from the basket like that. So, you know, defense from rebounding to stopping perimeter drives, and then lastly just Turner kind of on the ball, those are the three things because – yeah, I've always felt like Turner was I, – I've been more of a proponent of trading him, but I understand the reasoning and wanting to keep him because if he can protect the rim at a high level, that does give you so much. And that's nice, and I, he provides a lot of that. But I think if he wants to be known as one of the best defensive players in the league, the on-ball defense against you know these, these elite bigs, it's got to get better. You know, me and every other Pacers fan is tired of playing Andre Drummond, but yeah, Joel Embiid has been the guy who's been missing from the Pacers six matchups. Can you imagine matchups. Turner? Turner, Turner during that trade had to be like, wait, Andre Drummond? I've got to see him how many more times this year? <laughs> Too Turner many. Had to be so mad when he saw that. <laughs> well, one one thing that I was looking at is since All Star break, the Pacers are sporting a plus eleven rebound advantage and a plus twenty seven free throw differential uh, over the last five games. Do you think addressing the rebounding and lack of free throw attempts was at the top of the list going into the All-Star break? Because I'm liking what I'm seeing right now, and I think it's contributing big time to getting some more wins. Because before the All-Star break, Pacers were getting crushed on the rebounds. Miles Turner has been one who he stepped up three straight games with 10 rebounds now. Yeah, no, that, that's a very those are two very notable numbers you point out there. Because if I'm not mistaken, they were dead last in free throw attempts going into the all-star break and that's always an area that i felt like if you're going to be a team that's not going to shoot a lot of three pointers you've got to get to the foul line at a higher clip and that is just an astonishing differential um so yeah i mean and even when you look at the rebounding numbers you know yes you face some of these bottom feeders but they aren't awful awful rebounding teams um so i think those things are of note as well and they continue to get anywhere close to that, those are things, again, you know, can you point to in April to where, all right, maybe this team now 
you do have a little bit more confidence in potentially winning a, a series just because that, that's what I'm looking for right now. It's what the starters did on Saturday, you know, Turner's late game shots, you know, does that give him a little bit more confidence? Again, Oladipo making a few strides before this latest sore knee situation. You know, those are things of like, all right, I'm starting to see a few more things that I that I think, okay, this team could do something in the month of April. Now, ultimately, you know, I, I still probably judge them on a on a barometer that's you know more with the kind of top five teams in each conference, and we haven't seen really great play against those teams, especially away from home. So that'll probably be the ultimate test for me. But those are, I mean, those are two very key stats that they need to continue to try and kind of reach at the at those levels if they want to do something come postseason time. All right, Kevin. So my last Pacers question, uh, Pacers related question for you is, you know, what matchup do you prefer for this team heading into the playoffs? Well, I, I think it's Miami. Have you been the one chirping about Boston? I'm I'm a proponent of playing Boston. Yes, I, I want to see that matchup. Yeah, I can't go there. I think those wings are just just too much. Um, I think it's Miami. And, you know, there's more of an even level playing field of talent. There's two teams that just kind of muck it up a little bit. You know, can you just kind of out, out tough and, and, and out, you know, work and, and execute a team that, you know, really doesn't have anyone that, yeah, Jimmy Butler is, is a great talent, but it's not like they've got multiple guys and a Kemba Walker and a Jason Tatum that are going to be the best player on the floor night in and night out. I think that's the team that I would want to play the most if I were the Pacers. Um, you aren't obviously going to catch – you really aren't going to catch Toronto. I guess the only way you play Toronto is, is – or the only way you play Boston is if you're the sixth seed. I can't see Boston falling all the way to the fourth seed. Right. Uh, I'm not sure how, how big that gap is. But I feel like it's either going to be Miami, Philly, or um, really Miami or, or Philly. And I think I'd rather play the Heat. Um, just, again, from a talent-level standpoint – I think when the Pacers have gone in the playoffs over the past few years, they've been certainly, even though the seed might not indicate it, they've been the vastly less talented team on the court. And I think that's caught up to them, especially on the offensive end of the floor. I think if you played Miami, you know, maybe guys that haven't been in those situations before, maybe that catches up to them. You know, mm-hmm. Bam in a different role, but Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, I mean, those guys, again, different sorts of, roles that they're being asked to do on playoff teams, you know, does that lead to a little bit of Miami not reaching this really incredible level Eric Spolster's had him playing at here until about the last two weeks? Hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I want to see the drama between the Heat. I mean, that's kind of what I see <laughs> being an intense series. Uh, I already love the, the start that it's off to. Um, they're going to obviously play the Heat, you know, later this month of March, and I, I think the Pacers might match up a little bit better than that um, against the Heat, against a team like, you know, Philly. It scares me because we have not seen the best of Philly. They, they have underperformed this year, and I don't want to be the the test for them in the playoffs. So my vote is Miami. No, on you don't want to see Embiid either. Right? I, I just I don't. don't I, I know Philly's got a little volatility with them, but. Again, give me the team that's the least talented, especially in round one. You know, maybe like in round two, maybe Philly's, you know, Jekyll and Hyde nature, maybe it would catch up to them. But 
I think as long as they were healthy, you'd get a decently locked in team in round one. And I mean, what they've lost two games at home all year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that's true. I mean, it's been it's. I mean, they they've protected home court better than really anybody in the league. So that would be a concern as well. Yeah, Miami's good at home as well, but I, I just feel like I'd rather go against the team that overperformed in the first half of the year rather than the team that underperformed because at some point Philly's going to get it going. And like I said, I want no part of that. We've seen what Embiid's done against Turner in the past. I don't think Turner wants it either. I mean, let's just be honest. He I mean, <laughs> he, he got so, Drummond six times, but he got to miss Embiid twice, so I guess it kind of equaled out, right? Yeah, but again, I think <laughs> – <laughs> knowing Miles Turner a little bit, and just from a mental standpoint, I think the best case scenario to be avoid Joel Embiid. Because if you look at the other teams in the East, I mean, Lopez wants to bring you away from the basket. Even Gasol and Ibaka, I think, want to play a little bit more away. Maybe Gasol can can, can bang a little bit. Um, you know, Boston. You know, Tice is a guy that I think wants to stretch the floor a little bit. Cantor might be a little bit more back to the basket, but no one at the level of a Drummond or an Embiid, or even like a Rudy Gobert or a Steven Adams. And those right. guys obviously aren't in the East. But, you know, those style of bigs, those are the ones I think you want to avoid at all costs. Yeah, and I mean, I've said my piece about why I'd rather face the Celtics. I just want to see our bigs take advantage of their smalls. And just I like how it's so different and, and how we're built so differently. But I, I get the concerns because, yes, you know, thinking about Sabonis trying to guard one of Hayward or Brown is – a little bit worrisome, but you know Kimba's been dealing with that knee injury. I'm not sure how you know how reliable he's going to be come playoff time. And you know Marcus Smart can be a wild card offensively. You know he's either hot or cold, and so maybe you could you know get lucky switching off and putting putting Sabonis on a on a Smart if they if they play that small uh, small ball lineup. So I'm just kind of interested by seeing the Pacers just overpower them with their size and. But, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think the Pacers are going to win a first game, uh, first round series anyway. So uh, it's kind of being the pessimistic outlook of things. I know that's not what fans want to hear, but that's that's my personal take on it. Uh, Miami, they, the only reason they worry me is just because um, three-point shooting and the defense the Pacers have shown against three-point shooting has been awful this year. So I just feel like if they get hot, they could really, you know, just light the scoreboard up like they did the last time they were in Indianapolis. Yeah, and that is fair. And I also think when you get into a series from a scouting standpoint, and this is both good and bad because we saw the Pacers last year, you know, they took away the bonus, really, Boston did. Um, you know, from a scouting standpoint, you, you settle in, of course, to one team, and you would hope from a three-point, you know, situation with Miami, you'd be able to kind of counter that a little bit better. And as much as I hear you out on Boston, you know, bigs, greater than smalls, I just feel like in the playoffs and a team that has that potency, especially from the perimeter, I mean, Boston can make, you know, 15 threes on you really, really quick. And that would be my concern of the dribble penetration, the inability to stop that. Not like they need to get to the rim. It's just getting open shots for some of those guys. And that would be a concern. I don't know if Miami has enough penetrators that worry me as much as Boston. I just think Boston has some individual matchups on the perimeter that I don't love. Mm-hmm. Fashi, any other words you got? No, I'd say just Miami a little bit unproven in terms of some of their diamonds in the rough, like Duncan Robinson's and their Kendrick Nunn's. But a guy like Jason Tatum was really taking his game to the next level since, you know, I'd say the start of 2020. 
scares me. So I, I'd like to avoid that if we can. Well, well, Kevin, we appreciate you coming on. But before I let you go, I just have to ask one question. Uh, me and Fachi are kind of closet bachelor watchers, so I was just curious: uh, are, are you watching Pilot Pete this year? And uh, any thoughts on who he's going to end up with? Boy, uh, talk about a question I didn't expect. <laughs> I, I have not. I've caught. So I, I have not watched much. Um, my wife says. Season in history, I believe is her quote. And she liked Pete before she hated him since the season has started. I, I kind of and agree. as we record this, who are we down to? Are, are is the home wrecker still on there? Yeah, well, yes. But she'll be voted off. No, I mean for people watching this Wednesday, she's not going to make it. So it's going to come down between uh, the two young girls, Madison and Hannah Ann. Uh, are you going to go with Maddie because it's uh, in relation to your wife's name? Is Madison the Auburn coach's daughter? Yes. Yeah, I think my wife likes her. And, yeah, I I, I scrolled through her social media, which means I know her um, because that's all that matters in, <laughs> Pretty in, much. in today's society. So, yeah, I, I'll go with Madison. Um, I, I don't know what my odds look like, but, yeah, uh, I'll go with Madison. Fachi, give your predictions. It's Madison. Pretty strong pick there, so uh, you can't go wrong <laughs> Fachi with Fachi knows, right. and there's no spoilers either on this one. <laughs> I feel confident now. I'm going to walk inside a little pep in my step tonight. Yeah, you're just gonna uh, definitely. Right spread, spread the news to your wife. She'll know that you've been doing your research on this season, and just like that, you're up to date. <laughs> All right, KB, we appreciate it. it. Thanks for thanks for the Bachelor uh, little uh, content there. And, uh, of course, uh, our beloved Pacers. So we'll talk to you soon. Come around playoff time and get your thoughts there. But, uh, anyway, where can people find you at on Twitter? And uh, are you going to be on the radio anytime soon? Yeah, KBowen1070 on Twitter, um, 1075thefan.com for the, the, the written coverage aspect of things. Um, right now, next week, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I'll be on the morning show uh, here locally. So that's 7 to 10 on 1075thefan. And then I'm sure I'll be called out of the bullpen a few more times. But uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. Always, always enjoy the questions. Absolutely, Kevin. We'll talk to you later. All righty, everybody. We are back. And we have pretty much covered everything you need to know about the Pacers for the next couple of days. But just to kind of have a little bit of fun, we're going to start a new segment. And it's a segment that I created called Know Your Podcast Host. So, joining us on the hot seat is the one and only, the fiery redhead, Michael Focci. So, Focci, you're on the hot seat. I'm going to ask you six questions. You have to give me a rapid-fire answer, so no longer than three seconds to answer. So, are you ready? Yes, my favorite. Bring it on. Let's see what we got today. All right. Question one. Category beverages. Water, soda, Gatorade, or tea? Gatorade. Question two, movie uh, movie genre, comedy, horror, action, or drama? Comedy. All right. Musical genre, rock, pop, hip-hop, or country? Hip-hop. Hip-hop. Okay, Fachi. All right, I like mm-hmm. it. I like it. All right, question number four. Polo, button-down, or a tank top? Button-down. Button-down. Okay, question five. Nike, Adidas, or Under Armour? Nike. For sure. All right. And the last one, this is my favorite question. Would you rather have a burger and fries or tacos with chips and salsa? 
Chips and salsa is my weakness on this earth. I'm going with tacos and chips and salsa. Okay, and there you have it, folks. It was a 90-second interview with Fachi. We got through six questions, and next week I'm going to ask Fachi six more questions so we can get to know our podcast host a little bit more. Uh, pretty much all you need to know about Fachi right now, or all that I know about Fachi, is he is a hodgepodge sports fan. He likes the Indiana Pacers, of course, and then for baseball, he likes the New York Mets. For football, he likes the Denver Broncos. For college, it's mm-hmm. West Virginia. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm oh, trying yeah. to think. Uh, anybody else that I miss the Broncos? Did I say the Broncos? You did. You okay. did. Those are my teams. I don't have a hockey team. I don't have a soccer team. It's too late in the game for me. You know, I, I love what I love. I'm sticking with basketball, football, and then the Mets, my hometown Mets. Uh, I'm in it for life. That's uh, That's the only team from New York. That I root for. Yeah, and it looks like Spike Lee's not even rooting for the Knicks anymore. You can't root for the Knicks. My own friends, I mean, they put together a two-game winning streak, and, I mean, they're running wild through Twitter. You know, so just uh, it's hard to keep up with these Knicks fans. But if I did have to change one answer that I said, I'd probably go water over Gatorade. I actually haven't had a Gatorade in a couple years, (laughs) but I'm pretty thirsty right now, and a Gatorade felt refreshing right right well i guess i could ask you i mean do you even drink soda or what do you call it out there do you call it soda do you call it pop do you call it coke what do you guys call it soda soda and actually i honestly i never even had a soda growing up until i was way older i do not drink soda wow that's never had a cavity in my life either probably due to not drinking soda i've had a fair share of cavities fachi and i will admit i can be a little bit of an addict to soda uh Personally, my favorite soda, you know, this isn't really about me right now because you're not interviewing me, but if I had to say, like, my favorite soda is hands down Mr. Pibb, and mm-hmm. it's it's Never like had the, it. it's like a spicy cherry. It's like, uh, it's kind of similar to Dr. Pepper in a sense from uh, Coca-Cola's version because Dr. Pepper is like actually owned by 7-Up, I believe, but people don't realize that. Everybody thinks that Dr. Pepper is owned by Pepsi, but they're actually their own independent company, and 7-Up is the carrier for them. Only reason I know that because I worked at a gas station for five years, hey, <laughs> and they are the ones dropping that, knowledge. I'm dropping knowledge, man. I mean, I've got I've got plenty of gas station stories to tell you. So if we ever want to have a dark night where we talk about some crazy things that happened at the gas station in the middle of the ghetto, we can talk about it here in Indianapolis. I was not in a good spot where I was at. I'm going to be honest, Alex. That sounds terrible, and I never want to hear those stories. But okay. I will take your word for it. But since I know that my mom is tuning in to an episode of Setting the Pace, she always used to buy Mott's apple juice growing up, and that was my version of soda. I used okay. to crush some apple juice. It's, it's been a lot a of while, sugar. I'm, I'm surprised yeah, you didn't get cavities sugar. from that. Nope, nope. Somehow I you know, slipped through the cracks of, of the cavities and it made it on out perfectly good. But Mott's apple juice, if you have not had, I recommend. Absolutely. So as we wrap things up here, Fachi, I just want to do this as we close out our last segment. Who was your player of the week last week for the Indiana Pacers? And we had uh, Sabonis flirting with two triple-doubles, so that's that's pretty hard. But I really liked I – mean, I think it's got to be between T.J. Warren and, and uh, Miles Turner. I completely I agree with like, you. I feel like Miles Turner really stepped up. Uh, his play, Warren. I mean, at, at times is just so reliable, but I think Miles Turner is deserving of it because I think he put together maybe his best week of the season. Yeah, sorry, I just dropped my phone there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think Miles Turner really should be getting this award for Player of the Week because it was his 
eight blocks against Charlotte that set the tone. Nobody was going to score in the paint. It was the 10 rebounds that he had three games in a row. It was the four blocks last night with the 17 points against the Spurs. Turner's been playing well, and if it's because he's drinking more coffee, hey, let's give him all the coffee he wants. Let's change Turner's block into Java Junction and just have it going crazy up there, Foch. Hey, whatever's going to keep it going, 18 blocks over his last four games, just honestly ridiculous. This is the Miles Turner that I remember from last year that was head and shoulders above any other player when it came to blocking shots. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So anyway, guys, we appreciate y'all listening to another episode here of Setting the Pace on your favorite Pacers website, PacersTalk.net. You can follow Mike Focci on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. The same handle works for his Instagram account, too, if you're interested in that. I'm at AlexGoldenMBA and at AlexGolden21 on Instagram. And our Instagram page is at PacersTalk. So anything else, Focci, you have to say before we sign off here? Let's go Pacers. All right, everybody. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.